Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC-FM and Light 100.5 WRCH. Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning, and we are pleased to be joined by Dr. Gary Rose. He is professor and chair in the Department of Government at Sacred Heart University in Fairfield. Good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? I am well, and yourself? Good, thank you. Dr. Rose is out with a new book entitled Connecticut in Crisis, Policy Challenges, and the 2018 Contest for Governor. And you examine five issues related to state government in Connecticut and then kind of roll into the 2018 election. Right. It's basically a, a book that's divided into two parts. The first one, as you just noted, uh, examines all of the, or at least five of the major policy challenges currently facing Connecticut. Um, which I know we're going to speak about. And then after I address that, it, it then transitions into what was really a very interesting and almost unprecedented uh, gubernatorial contest that we had, with the connection being that these are the, uh, the five issues, the five main issues, I think at least, that are going to be facing uh, the next uh, administration up in Hartford. What are those five issues? Some of them have been building for a while, haven't they? They have been, and these are not issues that just emerged. These are issues that have been really evolving, developing uh, for actually the last couple decades for sure. Um, as, my, as my book identifies um, business, uh, business problems here in Connecticut, we have the exit of uh, major corporations. We have a lot of uh, executives here in Connecticut who don't feel confident that the uh, that the policies up in Hartford are conducive to the development of their of their companies. So, I think we do have a serious problem with with business. Uh, another problem that we have, of course, is infrastructure. Infrastructure is a serious issue in Connecticut. In fact, as I was doing my research, you know, I knew that we had some infrastructure problems, but. I, I really did not have any idea that 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 Connecticut was ranked so incredibly low compared to uh, to other states in terms of uh, the quality of our roads and and bridges. Uh, taxes, uh, another issue, of course, that I address in the book. We are a, a heavily taxed state, uh, both in terms of personal uh, income taxes, sales tax, corporate taxes even to the point where now Connecticut is considered um, a, a state that is that really has tax policies that seem to be inhibiting economic growth. And I think that is a, a major issue that, of course, the next governor, or the current governor, I should say, has to, uh, has to address. Um, I examine the, uh, the problems of, uh, of our inner cities in this, in this book. Uh, cities have been on the agenda of both Republicans and Republicans. Uh, Democrats over the years, but quite frankly, my own research did not uh, find uh, a great deal of progress taking place in our inner city schools and more generally the uh, the job market in, in cities. 
Uh, I look at entitlements in my in the first part of my book as well. Um, there, I, I look at uh, the heavy reliance on Medicaid expenditures in Connecticut, which is quite quite high. And 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 then in that chapter two, which is an entitlement, I, I examine what some consider to be the most vexing problem facing probably Governor Lamont in the days ahead, and that is. Um, the uh, pension liabilities of, of our state um, state employees, their pensions, they're tremendously underfunded, and that is a serious issue. And the same is true with uh, the pensions for teachers. And so we have a, a host of problems here facing Connecticut, um, but uh, in a nutshell, you know, the business environment is really way behind those of other um, New England states, and you know we've we've had the Great Recession. We've New England has for the most part come out of the Great Recession, but it doesn't seem as if Connecticut has. Um, heavy taxes, a problem with the inner cities, uh, infrastructure issues, and entitlements. You put it all together, and I didn't want to use the word crisis. I will say I was very reluctant to say Connecticut is in crisis, but when I was done with my research and examining how incredibly poorly Connecticut now stacks up against other states. I really had no choice but to use, you know, um, a term that, you know, it doesn't, it might seem like a little bit of hyperbole, but quite frankly, I do think our state has gone from being one of the most prosperous and productive states in the country to a state that is now facing very, very deep and serious problems to the point where I think our state is in crisis. You're not painting a very rosy picture I suppose it's it's helpful to, to talk about how we got there, and then do you have any ideas for maybe how the state can improve its situation? <laughs> how we got there. That's, that's you know, it's not – I know it's easy to blame Governor Malloy, as many have. You know, he was in office for two terms. And it's easy, I think, to also blame a Democratic-controlled legislature over the years. It's easy to place the blame on one party. But I'm not doing that in this book. I uh, – you know, we've had Republican governors, too, and we've had Democratic governors. And it is true that the legislature has largely been under the control of the Democratic Party for years. But nevertheless, um, I find this to be really a, a bipartisan problem. And we don't have um, governors of either party that have really stepped up and addressed what I think these, these real deep, serious problems are. Now, back to your, your question, you know, what really has caused this, this problem? Well, I think, honestly, much of it revolves around uh, an economy that simply is not as productive as it once was. And when you have an economy that is not as productive as it once was, you have, of course, um, problems with revenue, raising revenue. You have people leaving the state also because they don't feel there are a lot of job opportunities here. So in the end, if I was to identify, you know, what seems to be the culprit here, I would have to say that the tax policies in Connecticut have having, have had a suppressive effect on many of the issues that I'm addressing in this book. Is that rooted in the income tax that was imposed in the early 90s, or does it go back before that? No, actually, I think it does have something to do with that. Um, when Governor Weicker gave us the uh, the state income tax, supposedly that was you know a panacea for solving a lot of our problems in Connecticut. It did nothing of the sort. It really didn't. And um, the the people here in Connecticut are are now you know per capita 
heavily taxed people. And that has a great end. And there's a corporate tax, and we also have a sales tax and other forms of taxes too. And I think when you have a, uh, a, a state that really depends so much on you know, government um, involvement in the lives of people and in the lives of the economy, um, then I think that, that that really doesn't do an awful lot to stimulate economic growth which in turn I think has implications for infrastructure, for the quality of our cities, you know, for, and obviously for, for correcting the, entitled, the growth of entitlements too. And so I think in the end, if I was to say it was one issue, I, and I'm a little reluctant to pinpoint just one, but I would have to say that taxation is one of the real problems that's facing Connecticut. And it seems as if lawmakers often seem to resort to taxation first in order to solve problems. And I'm not sure that that has been the appropriate solution. If you listen to certainly former Governor Malloy, to a certain extent Governor Lamont, they will tell you that there's only so many places you can cut in the state budget because so much of it is related to debt service and entitlements. So where does one start to, to right the ship? Well, you know, it's a, it's a great question that you just, you just posited here because it is true that about 50% of our budget is already spoken for. You mentioned debt service. We talk about pension liabilities, the Medicaid expenditures. So much of it is locked in. But how did we get to that position? That's really, you know, that's how did we get to where so much of our budget is already consumed by, um, by these programs? And that, to me, uh, is, is something that you're going to have to work your way out of. And, you know, as far as the general fund goes and discretionary spending, it's gotten smaller and smaller. And what we are doing is the, we're really shrinking the, uh, the, uh, that portion of the budget that should be used for creative, you know, uh, policies that stimulate growth. But no, it is locked into services and locked into uh, pensions and and so much of it, as you already say, you're correct on this. So much of it is just spoken for the debt service too. How did we get into that situation? So it, it is just that we have we have outspent ourselves here in Connecticut. Government has grown at the expense of the private sector, and the question you know now becomes is how do we get out of that? It seems always when. Lawmakers are deliberating the state budget. We're facing, you know, a big jump in payments for pensions or big jump in payments for debt service, and those kind of get spread out farther into the future, so we don't have a big cliff coming up. Is that really helpful long term? I, I don't see how it is. You know, like in my book, I, I cite um, the Comptroller's uh, study and and his, his reports about about pension liabilities and so forth. And it's getting worse and worse. And this book, uh, you know, shows what Kevin Limbaugh suggests is going to happen in year 2032. And the, the, the amount, the percentage of, of money that is going to be going to service pensions is just incredible how it's mushrooming and how it has mushroomed and will continue to mushroom in the state. You know, I'm not a policymaker. I, I, I study, I write, I don't have a lot of real specific policy suggestions for lawmakers. That's their job to get these problems fixed. But um, 
the problem is it's it's long-term. We really are talking about a long-term problem here. You are listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to Dr. Gary Rose. He is professor and chair of the Department of Government at Sacred Heart University in Fairfield. He has written a new book, Connecticut in Crisis, Policy Challenges, and the 2018 Contest for Governor. Not getting too far down into the weeds, but as you did your research into the state's employee pension system and the health benefits that are are granted to state retirees, is what the state is offering today in terms of someone who who gets hired right now, is that sustainable compared to, you know, the tier one employees who were hired back in the 70s and 80s where the benefits were much more generous? More generous. I know they've cut back on some benefits, but, you know, I know this is anecdotal now on my part, but the the individuals I know that are, you know, kind of in the the early stages of their career working for the state and some who are in the mid-level, you know, when I, when I hear about their benefits, I go, wow, you know, I hear about the number of sick days, vacation days, personal days, what co-pays are when they see the doctor. Good grief. I mean, who can get those? Who, who gets those other than working in the state of Connecticut? And so I, uh, I, I, listen, you know, I listen to people and I, and I go, that's great. You got a great job. And then I think, well, no wonder we have a lot of these problems. And it, it just seems as if Connecticut is so determined to make sure that public employees, people who work for the state, you know, are – are treated as if somehow they are this sacrosanct type of employee who is entitled to these benefits that so many of us have to really fund. And so I know I'm sounding, you know, a little cantankerous here, but uh, you know I'm really concerned about the quality of our state. I'm concerned about the future. I, you know, I teach college. I've been teaching college for over 40 years at my own school, 37 years, and. A lot, of, a lot of my students are saying they're leaving when they graduate. In fact, a lot of them have. I know they have. In fact, my own research assistant who helped me with this book is now living in San Francisco. <laughs> you know, she left. And so um, people leave, are leaving Connecticut because they don't feel there are a lot of opportunities here, largely because I think that state government has really in many ways smothered what's happening here and happening really in the private sector. You talk about the level of benefits given to state employees. How is that related to the power of state employee unions? Well, I think it's the other way around in in that state employee unions, we have a very large uh, state employee um, union here in Connecticut compared to other states. We rank very high. It's in my book, in fact. We're, We're one of the highest, not the highest, but one of the highest. And, you know, they have an awful lot of influence, obviously, in the state legislature and with uh, Democratic governors in particular. You know, when the Janus case came down recently, um, Ned Lamont, of course, appeared with the, with the protesters over the union uh, decision and so forth. And so, uh, you know, I, I'm inclined to say that um, it's really the political power of uh, public employee unions that have, in some respects, sustained what has emerged as a, um, you know, really a very nice lifestyle for people who work for the state of government, for work for the state of Connecticut, I should say. Um, they have a lot of clout. Now, even in my uh, uh, book here, I'm not, you know, I, uh, I cite a, a columnist here who has indicated that he's very much aware that on election day, for example, 
this was new to me, and I uncovered this in research, that we actually have state employees who are given paid vacation days to go out and work the precincts. You know, and help, and help various candidates get elected. I mean, I don't know how accurate that is. I, that's I cited this, and um, actually, I've communicated with this individual uh, since the book came out, and um, and I was stunned to hear that. That actually, um, because the the symbiotic relationship now between public employee unions and Democratic candidates. And again, I don't want to be here, you know, railing on just one party, but it is so incredibly tight. It's almost like there's a, uh, uh, you know, as I say, a, um, they, are, they are really wedded, at, at, joined at the hip. And it's, I think it's very hard to, uh, to um, prevent that from happening unless you really have draconian laws that diminish the power of public employee unions in Connecticut. In the second part of your book, you examine the 2018 race for governor. You called it unprecedented. How so? Well, first of all, uh, let's take a look at the the two individuals who were nominated, um, neither of whom. Well, now Ned Lamont had a little bit of local government experience down in Greenwich, but the two major candidates were, were individuals from the private sector, which was very interesting. Ned Lamont coming out of the, you know, uh, he had his cable vision, uh, or I should say his cable television uh, business that he that he created on his own uh, in order to provide cable services to uh, gated communities and college campuses. And then you had Bob Stefanowski, who was the nominee of the Republican Party, who a former um, executive with GE, UBS Bank, and again, the private sector. So that in itself was interesting. And what I think was really unprecedented here is that this was the first time we had a gubernatorial candidate who, a gubernatorial nominee, I should say, who actually petitioned his way onto the ballot. And I think that's very interesting. And, you know, that that petition um, possibility has been in place for a while, but we've never had a gubernatorial nominee actually get the required signatures in order to get on the ballot, and then, not only that, but to win the primary. And that, to me, is fascinating. Uh, and I think that opens the door to probably um, more development in the future of, of pe- more opportunity, I should say, for petitioning candidates to get on the ballot. David Stemmerman also uh, petitioned his way onto the primary ballot. He, he came in third in the, in the primary but nevertheless, um, I think the fact that we had a Democratic nominee and a Republican nominee, both from the private sector, the fact that we had the Republican nominee who petitioned his way onto a primary ballot and then won the primary contest, I think that was very interesting. Also, what was very unprecedented on the Republican side in particular is how many candidates originally started to run for office. You know, that's the highest we've ever had in the state of Connecticut. Um, and I, you know, I served as a panelist at some of these debates, and it was unbelievable. It's it's like what you see on TV now, almost with the Democratic candidates. You know, you had all these candidates up on stage, and neither of them were getting a great deal of time to speak. And I thought, wow, this is unbelievable, just how porous the process is. So, those are a couple of the uh, unprecedented uh, dimensions of uh, this this contest we just experienced. You noted how. Bob Stefanowski petitioned his way onto the ballot and essentially bypassed the nominating convention. Totally, yeah. Do you think that may signal there might be some changes needed in, in how candidates are nominated? You know, that's that, that question has come up, I know. And, you know, uh, some people are saying, 
you know, why don't we do away with these conventions? I don't think that's going to happen because really it's the parties that largely control that and the party structure is, is such that we still have, you know, a state chairman and we have 169 local chairs and they appoint their own delegates to go to these conventions. And I don't think that the party organization is willing is willing to give up the uh, the um, the power that they have at conventions, or at least the influence, and and so no, I don't see the uh, I don't see the uh, the process eliminate. I don't see the nominating process changing that dra- that drastically. Now, fast forward to the Lamont administration. One of the most interesting things I think so far has been his rollout of his proposal to resurrect tolls on Connecticut highways. How do you think that went? Well, it didn't go very well, did it? <laughs> I know. Uh, you know, and, and it was interesting because when I first was working on this book, the polling figures were on the side of tolls slightly. Not great, but, but there were enough people were willing to entertain the prospect of tolls. But then as the campaign wore on, um, the people here in Connecticut started to turn against tolls, and now we have, you know, 60% or more of the people that are opposed to, to tolls. Tolling was apparently one of the big five initiatives that we thought were going to come down the pike with the Lamont administration. Uh, the big five being, if I remember correctly now, would be uh, minimum wage, which was passed, paid family leave, which was passed, uh, sports betting was, was another and then, of course, tolls would be another, which did not make sports betting is still on hold. Did nothing happen there? Tolls supposedly we're going to have a, a special session, but I haven't seen any indication of that. And then uh, the last one would be legalization of marijuana, which didn't happen. So basically, of the big five initiatives, two were passed, um, and I think tolls are still, you know, in limbo. I don't know if there's going to be a special session this summer. I mean, summer's over in a few weeks, and I haven't seen any indication of it. But that's not to say that tolls are not coming. I think in the end, down the road, maybe, I don't know if it's, I don't think it's going to be the special session, but maybe next spring, who knows, it's going to come up again because it's considered, a once again, a revenue raiser, and it helps the transportation fund. And as you read my book here, you know, we have so many problems with infrastructure that we need more money for it. And so who knows? But as long as the public is opposed to tolls, and as long as we know that a number of those swing districts where some moderate Democrats were elected, uh, where uh, opposition to tolling is pretty strong, I don't see it happening in the immediate future. And I would assume that as you get closer to the 2020 election, a lot of members of the General Assembly are worrying about their re-election prospects. Sure, they're going to get cold feet on tolls. I mean, this, uh, that's, that's, that's a real issue, too, um, electoral considerations. Again, I'm, I'm not willing to say that someday we're not going to see, you know, the, uh, the introduction of reintroduction of tolls here in Connecticut. But you're right. It has a lot of political consequences, particularly in certain districts here in Connecticut, which could really cost uh, the Democrats a number of their seats. And so uh, as long as that opposition remains, now it's up to the governor to really make the case for tolls. And I don't think he has yet. Uh, and as I said once before, that I felt that uh, if we did have a special session, that would be the true test of Lamont's ability to trade and to get what he really wants. So I don't think we're done with the issue. And I agree with you that uh, that the, uh, the, the next election obviously has bearing on this. 
but um, there's still it's still a work in progress, I think. He is Dr. Gary Rose, professor and chair in the Department of Government at Sacred Heart University in Fairfield, author of Connecticut in Crisis, Policy Challenges in the 2018 Contest for Governor. Where can people find your book? Well, it's published by Academic Press, which is an independent scholarly press. And uh, if people go online, they'll, they'll see it. And it's out there in, on various sites, actually. Thanks yeah. for joining us this morning. Oh, my pleasure. Sure. Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.